Chapter Twenty Six of A Mama's Wife by George Moore. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Six. The appointment was for five o'clock, and Kate would have liked to remain on the pier with Dick, enjoying the summer evening. But he seemed so intent on returning to their lodging that she did not like to oppose his wishes and she allowed herself to be led all the way up the dusty town to their close hot rooms that she might try over fredegonde's music that he should wish to hear her voice again in this music flattered her but she rose from the piano her face aflame when he began to mention an appointment it's too bad of you dick to bring me home and then remember an appointment dick overflowed with mellifluous excuses which did not seem to allay kate's anger and as he hurried down the street it occurred to him that he might have thought of a better reason than fredegonde for bringing her home however this might be his thoughts were now with montgomery and mrs forrest rather than with kate and it was not till he drew the latch-key from his pocket that kate's singing of the waltz returned to him he ascended the stairs singing it i think it will work out all right what will work out all right you're an hour later than you said you'd be oh never mind about the hour he answered and began to weave a story about his meeting with a pal from london as he was leaving the pier the other day he hadn't spoken to her about it before not caring to do so until something definite had happened what has happened kate asked and dick his face aglow related how the pal had spoken of a great revival of interesting comic opera especially in french music and that many city men with plenty of money were on the lookout for somebody who knew how to produce this class of work and was in sympathy with the folly's dramatique tradition kate who believed everything that dick told her listened with a heightened temperature at margate the admirer of herve's music became an american who wished to see gilles perique trone d'ecosse le petit faust l'oeil crevé and marguerite de navarre reproduced as they had been produced under the composer's direction when dick was stage manager at that theatre the american was interested in herve for he not only wrote the music but also the words of his operas Herve was therefore the wagner of light comic opera and if the new venture received sufficient support from the public dick would like to add other works by Herve, la belle poule l'ausade percutée and having puzzled kate with many titles and an imaginary biography of this musical american he fell to telling her of blanche d'antigny singing all the little tunes he could remember and branching off into an account of le canard à Toibec. this last opera was not by herve but the american liked it and might be persuaded to produce it later on it contained a part he said in which kate would succeed in establishing herself one of london's favourites but his praise of her singing and acting set her wondering if he were gulling her once more or if he still believed in her it might be that her continued sobriety had reawakened his old love for her and she remembered suddenly that she had never really cared for drink and never would have touched drink if dick hadn't driven her mad with jealousy and the fact that her voice had returned to her helped her to believe that dick was sincere when he told her that she would be a better fredegonde than blanche d'antigny who created the part originally montgomery endorsed this view one evening he refused to take no for an answer she must sing the score through with him and several times he stopped playing and looking up into her face he told her he had never known a voice to improve so rapidly and so suddenly dick nodded his acquiescence in montgomery's opinion and hoped there would be no more need to tell kate lies once she was settled in a lodging behind the cattle market but in this he was mistaken for in london the need to keep up the fiction of herve's american admirer was more necessary than at margate dick had to relate his different quests every evening he had been after the lyceum but was unable to get an answer from the lessee he hoped to get one next week 
and when next week came he spoke about the royalty and the adelphi and the haymarket neglecting however to mention the theatre in which he hoped to produce laura's opera the large stage of the lyceum would be excellently well suited he said for a fine production of chilperique and he besought kate to apply herself to the study of the part of fredegonde his imagination led him into dreams of an english company going over to paris with all herve's works and kate obliterating the blanche d'antigny tradition kate listened delighted discovering in dick's praise of her singing a hope that his love of her had survived the many tribulations it had been through and while listening she vowed she would never touch drink again nor did her happiness vanish till morning till she saw him struggling into his greatcoat and foresaw the long dividing hours but he had said so many kind things overnight that she was behoven to stifle complaint and bore with her loneliness all day long refusing food for without dick's presence food had no pleasure for her however hungry she might be she would wait contented hour after hour if she could have him to herself when he returned but sometimes he would bring back a friend with him and the pair would sit up talking of women and their aptitudes in different parts as none of them were known personally to kate the names they mentioned suggested only new causes for jealousy and the thought that dick was living among all these women while she was hidden away in this lodging from night till morning from morning till night maddened her it seemed to her that having been out all day dick might at least reserve his evenings for her and one night she showed the man he had brought back to supper plainly that his absence would so far as she was concerned have been preferable to his company i wouldn't have come back he said only dick insisted and interrupting his regrets that she did not like him she said it isn't that i don't like you but you're used to women who aren't in love with their husbands and i'm in love with mine the friend repeated kate's words to dick who said he hadn't a moment till the cast of the new piece was settled and a few nights later he brought back some music which he said he would like her to try over but it's manuscript dick why don't you bring home the printed score the lie that came to his lips was that the score of trone d'ecosse had never been printed and this seeming to her very unlikely she said she didn't care whether it had or hadn't but was tired of living in islington and would like to see something of the london of which she had heard so much i've been in london all my life dick said and i haven't been to the tower or to st paul's however dear if you'd like to see them we'll visit all these places together as soon as chilperique is produced with this promise he consoled her in a measure and she watched dick depart and then took up a novel and read it till she could read no longer she then went out for a little walk but soon returned finding it wearisome to be always asking the way so forlorn and lost did she seem that even the fat landlady the mother of the ten children who clattered about the head of the kitchen staircase took pity upon her and told her the number of the bus that would bring her to the british museum assuring her that she would find a great deal there to distract her attention it did not matter to her where she went if dick wasn't with her without dick all places were the same to her and the british museum would do as well as any other place she must go somewhere and the british museum would do as well as the tower or st paul's there were things to be seen and she didn't mind what she saw as long as she saw something new she couldn't look any longer at the two pictures on the walls with the stream and against the stream the wax fruit the mahogany sideboard the dingy furniture and the torn curtains and of all she must get out of hearing of the children and the surly landlady who a few minutes ago was less surly and had told her of the british museum and all the wonderful things that were to be seen there but she hadn't the bus fare and didn't like to ask the landlady for a few pence as long as she hadn't any money she was out of temptation and it was by her own wish that dick had left her without money as she walked to and fro she caught sight of his clothes thrown over the back of a chair in the bedroom 
and he might have left a few pence in one of his pockets. She searched the trousers. How careless Dick was! Several shillings. One, two, three, four, five, five and sixpence. She'd take sixpence. As she walked out of the bedroom, clinking the coppers, the desire to read his letters fell upon her, and yielding to it she put her hand into the inside pocket of his coat, and drew from it a packet of letters and some papers, manuscripts and poems. "'Now who,' she asked, "'can have been sending him these classical cartoons number four? She read of heroes, the glory of manhood collected along the shores of the terrible river that guards the dominions of Pluto. She knew nothing of Pluto, but recognised the handwriting as a woman's, and the lines, Zeus, the monarch of heaven, clothed in the form of a mortal, kneeling, caressed and caressing, drank from her lips joy and love draughts, caused Kate to dash the manuscript from her. A letter accompanied the poem and read, "'My dear, nothing can be done without you, and if you don't come at once we shall miss getting a theatre this season, and without a theatre we are helpless.' Kate did not need to read any more. The letter left no doubt that Dick was engaged in an intrigue with a woman who had written some play or opera which he was going to produce, and the envelope out of which she had taken the letter bore the direction— Richard Lennox, Esquire, Post Restant, Margate. So it was lies all the while at Margate, she said to herself, walking about the room, stopping now and again to stare at some object which she did not see. There was no American, no Chilperic, no Trone Dacos, no Loy Crevet, no La Belle Poule, no Marguerite de Navarre. Lies, lies, nothing but lies. He never intended to produce one of them, or that I should play Freddy Gon. Lies, lies, and the great part in Le Canard à Trois-Bec, which would establish my reputation in London. Lies, he never intended to produce one of these operas, she cried. He shut me up here in this lodging, so that I should be out of the way, while he carried on with what's-her-name. Her brain at that instant seemed to catch fire, and snatching up some money from the mantelpiece, she rushed out of the house, tumbling over the children as she made her way to the front door without hat or jacket. The sunlight awoke her, and she looked around puzzled, and only just escaped being run over by a passing cart. In front of her was a public house. Drink! She went in and drank till she recovered her reason, and began to lose it again. "'A bottle of gin, please,' she said, and put the money on the counter, and returned to her lodging almost mad with jealousy and rage and thirst for revenge. No, she wouldn't drink any more, for if she were to drink any more she'd not be able to have it out with Dick, and this time she would have it out with him, and no mistake. If he were to kill her it didn't matter, but she would have it out with him.' As she sat by the table, waiting hour after hour for him to return, her whole mind was expressed by the words, I'll have it out with him, and she didn't weary of repeating them, for it seemed to her that they kept her resolution from dying. What she feared most was that his presence might quell her resolution. To have it out with him as she was minded, she mustn't be drunk, nor yet too sober. He might bring home a friend with him, but that wouldn't stay her hand. Montgomery, too, had deceived her. Dick was rehearsing his opera. He had written music for that Mrs. Forrest, and this was the end of their friendship. Many hours went by, but they didn't seem long. Passion gave her patience. At last, a sound of footsteps caused her to start to her feet. It was Dick. "'This is going to be an all-night affair,' he said to himself as soon as he crossed the threshold. "'I hope you didn't wait supper for me.' His manner was most conciliatory, and perhaps it was that conciliatory manner that inflamed her. "'Business, I suppose. I know damn well what your business was. I know all about it, you and your woman, Mrs. Forrest. The theatre she's taken for you, where you were rehearsing Montgomery's opera.' 
"'You cannot deny it,' she cried. "'Mrs. Forrest is her name.' And reading in his face certain signs of his culpability, her anger increased, her teeth were set and her eyes glared. Dick feared she was going mad, and with an instinctive movement he put out his arms to restrain her. "'Don't touch me! Don't touch me!' she screamed, and struck at him with clenched fists, and then feeling that her blows were but puny, she went for him like a bird of prey, all her fingers distended. "'Take that, and that, and that, you beast! Oh, you beast! You beast! You beast!' Her shrieks rang through the house as she pursued him round the furniture, he retreating like a lumbering bull striving to escape from her claws. "'How would you like that?' she cried, as she tore at him with her nails again. "'That'll teach you to go messing about after other women. I'll settle you before I've done with you.' Chairs were thrown down, the coal scuttle was upset, and at last, as Dick tried to get out of the room, Kate stumbled against a rosewood cabinet, sending one of the green vases with its glass shade crashing to the ground, summoning the landlady. Dick spoke about his wife having had a fit. Mm, "'Fit or no fit, I hope you'll leave my house tomorrow.' "'Meanwhile,' Dick answered, "'will you leave my room?' And he shut the door in the face of the indignant householder. Kate, who had now recovered herself a little, poured out a large glass of raw gin, and to her surprise Dick made no attempt to prevent her drinking it. "'As soon as she drinks herself helpless, the better,' he thought, as he went into the bedroom to attend to his wounds. The scratches she had given him before their marriage were nothing to these. One side of his nose was well-nigh ripped open, and there were two big, deep gashes running right across his face, from the cheekbone to his ear. It was very lucky, he thought, she hadn't had his eye out, and it might be as well to go round to the apothecaries and get some Vaseline, some antiseptic treatment, for her nails are poisonous, he added, and his eyes going round the room caught sight of his clothes in disorder. Ah, oh, she's been at my clothes! and he took up the classical cartoons and his letters, and put them away into his pocket, and went into the sitting-room, and tried to explain to his wife that he was going out to see if he could get something from the apothecary to heal the wounds she'd given him. Kate did not answer. "'She's dead drunk,' he said, and it seemed to him that he couldn't do better than to undress her and put her into bed, and when he had done this, he lay down upon a sofa, hoping that he would wake first and be able to get out of the house without disturbing her, leaving word with the landlady that he would come back as soon as his rehearsal was over and make arrangements to leave her house, since she didn't wish them to stay any longer. He fell asleep, thinking that he might find his landlady in a different mood and might persuade her in the morning to allow them to stay on. The vase, of course, should be paid for. There was a kindly look in her pleasant country face when she wasn't angry. His torn face might win her pity, and not wishing to increase his troubles, she would probably allow them to stay on. If she didn't, he'd have to find another lodging that very afternoon, which would be unfortunate, for his engagements were many. As it was, he'd have to hasten to keep an appointment which he'd made with Mrs. Forrest in the National Gallery. "'She really will have to make some alterations in her second act,' he said, going to the glass. Kate had clawed him with a vengeance, and he'd have to tell Laura how he came by his torn face. And after some consideration, it seemed to him that it would be well to admit that he had received these wounds in a conflict with a wife who was unfortunately given to drink. It was on these thoughts he fell asleep, and overslept himself, he feared, but Kate was still asleep, and without awakening her, he stole downstairs to visit the landlady in her parlour, but hearing his step, she bounced out of the room, with a view, no doubt, to repeating the warning she'd given him overnight. But the sight of his torn face brought pity into hers, and she said, "'Oh, Mr. Lennox, I'm so sorry for you!' A little sympathetic conversation followed and Dick went off to meet Laura, whom he recognised in the woman who leaned over the railings between the pillars, seemingly attracted by the view across Trafalgar Square. 
she still wore her green silk dress the one he had first seen her in on the pier at hastings and the long draggled feather boa she doesn't spend money on dress he thought as he lifted his hat with not quite the same ceremonious gesture as usual for he didn't wish to exhibit his scars yet so here you are dick and i waiting for you on the steps of this gallery glorious with all the imaginations of the heroes she hasn't seen the scratches yet he said to himself and turned from the light instinctively preferring that she should make the discovery indoors rather than out of doors his wounds would appear less in the gallery than in the open air why didn't she take a little more trouble with her make-up he asked himself and then reproved himself for describing it as a make-up she's not made up he said to himself she's painted and he wondered how it was that she could plaster her dark skin so flagrantly with carmine and put her eyebrows so high up in the forehead yet the face he said is a finely moulded one and compelling when she forgets her cosmetics and while dick regretted that she didn't show more skill with these he heard her telling him that she would prefer to stop and talk with him in the gallery devoted to the italian pictures than elsewhere the sublime conceptions of raphael raise me above myself and then as if afraid that her words would seem vainglorious to dick she said you're always in the same mood never rising above yourself or sinking below yourself finding it difficult to understand the pain that those who live mostly in the spiritual plane experience lest they fall into a lower plane oh not that i regard you dick as a lower plane but your plane is not mine and that is why you're so necessary to me and why perhaps i'm so necessary to you or would be if i'm not come let us sit here in front of the raphael and talk since we must of comic opera it's a pity we're not talking of the parco who have been in my mind all the morning and she began to recite some verses that she had written but interrupting herself suddenly she cried dick who has been scratching you how did your face get torn like that who's been scratching you and dick answered my wife your wife but you never told me you were married if i had told you i was married i would have had to tell you that my wife is a drunkard and is rapidly drinking herself to death a thing that no man likes to speak about oh my poor friend i didn't mean to reprove you how did all this come about it wouldn't do to admit that kate had discovered laura's letters and poems in his pockets and so he told the story of a former experience with his wife and had barely finished it when laura begged of him to tell her how he had met his wife and when he had told her the story to which she listened solemnly she answered and there was the same gravity in her voice as in her face all this comes my dear dick of lewdness but laura i was faithful to my wife but she was the wife of another man laura replied not that that is an insuperable barrier but you brought i fear lewdness into your conjugal life and lewdness is fatal to happiness whether it be indulged within or outside the bonds of wedlock i'm sorry she said that you had to leave yarmouth before my lecture on the chastity of the marriage state it wouldn't have mattered dick replied for my wife had taken to drink long before we met at hastings an answer that darkened laura's face despite all the paint she wore and encouraged dick to ask her if she had never felt the thorns of passion prick her when she ran away from her convent school she seemed uncertain what answer she should return but only for a moment and recovering herself quickly she maintained that it wasn't passion which is but another name for lewdness but imagination that had prompted this elopement and that if she had gone to bulgaria it was to seek there a nobler life than the one she had left behind it was the immortal that drew me she said even so dick answered the mortal seems necessary for the immortal 
and to provide him with a habitation a woman must give herself to a man that she replied is one of the penalties entailed by our first parents upon women but one that is entailed upon a condition that you have not respected but which i have striven always to respect myself it would be impossible for me to give myself to a man unless i thought i was going to bear him a child it was on dick's lips to remind laura that a woman can always think she is going to bear a child but he refrained it seeming to him that his purpose would be better served by allowing laura to justify herself as she pleased and he waited for an opportunity to speak to her about the alteration which he deemed altogether necessary in the second act but laura was away on her favourite theme and in the end he had recourse to his watch my dear laura i'm due at rehearsal in ten minutes from now well let's go she cried but my dear this is what i've come to tell you the second act and he explained the difficulty which would have to be removed now like a dear good girl will you go home and do this and bring it down to the theatre to-morrow morning at eleven so that we may have an opportunity of going through it together before rehearsal in the meantime kate lay on her bed helpless as ever just as dick had left her and it was not until he had given his preliminary instructions to the ballet girls and montgomery had struck the first notes of his opening chorus that a ray of consciousness pierced through the heavy drunken stupor that pressed upon her brain with vague movements of hands she endeavoured to fasten the front of her dress and with a groan rolled herself out of the light but her efforts to fall back into insensibility were unavailing and like the dawn that slips and swells through the veils of night a pale waste of consciousness forced itself upon her first came the curtains of the bed then the bare blankness of the wall and then the great throbbing pain that lay like a lump of lead just above her forehead her mouth was clammy as if it were filled with glue her limbs weak as if they had been beaten to a pulp by violent blows she was all pain but worse still a black horror of her life crushed and terrified her until she buried her face in the pillow and wept and moaned for mercy but to remain in bed was impossible the pallor of the place was intolerable and sliding her legs over the side she stood scarcely able to keep her feet the room swam as if in a mist she held her head with clasped hands the top of it seemed to be lifting off and it was with much difficulty that she staggered as far as the chest of drawers where she remained for some minutes trying to recover herself thinking of what had happened overnight she'd been drunk she knew that but where was dick where had he gone and what had she said to him all mental effort was agony but she had to think and straining at the threads of memory she strove to follow one to the end but it was no use it soon became hopelessly entangled and with a low cry she moaned oh my poor head my poor head i cannot cannot remember but the question what has become of dick still continued to torture her till raising her face suddenly from her arm she hitched up her falling skirts and seeing at that moment the bottle on the table she went into the sitting-room and poured herself out a little which she mixed with water just a drop she murmured to herself to pull me together it was his fault until he put me in a passion i was all right spreading and definite thoughts began to emerge and for a long time she sat moodily thinking over her wrongs and as her thoughts wavered they grew softer and more argumentative she considered the question from all sides and reasoning with herself was disposed to conclude that it was not all her fault if she did drink it was jealousy that drove her to it why wasn't he faithful to her who had given up everything for him why did he want to be always running after a lot of other women where was he now she'd like to know as this question appeared in the lens of her thought she raised her head and although boozed the memory of mrs forrest's letters filled her mind oh yes that's where he's gone to is it she murmured to herself 
so he's down with his poetess at the opera comique rehearsing montgomery's opera a determination to follow him slowly formed itself in her mind and she managed to map out the course that she would have to pursue it seemed to her that she was beset with difficulties to begin with she did not know where the theatre was and she could not conceal from herself the fact that she was scarcely in a fit state to take a long walk through the london streets the spirit drunk on an empty stomach had gone to her head she reeled a little when she walked and her own incapacity to act maddened her oh good heavens how her head was splitting what would she not give to be all right just for a couple of hours just long enough to go and tell that beast of a husband of hers what a pig he was and let the whole theatre know how he was treating his wife it was he who drove her to drink yes she would go and do this it was true her head seemed as if it were going to roll off her shoulders but a good sponging would do it good and then a bottle or two of soda would put her quite straight so straight that nobody would know she'd touched a drop it took kate about half an hour to drench herself in a basin and regardless of her dress she let her hair lie dripping on her shoulders the landlady brought her up the soda water and seeing what a state her lodger was in she placed it on the table without a word without even referring to the notice to quit she had given overnight and steadying her voice as best she could kate asked her to call a cab handsome or four-wheeler four-wheeler if you please yes that'll suit you best said the woman as she went downstairs you'd perhaps fall out of a hansom if i were your husband i'd break every bone in your body but kate was now much soberer and weak and sick she leaned back upon the hard cushions of the clattering cab her mouth was full of water and the shifting angles of the streets produced on her an effect similar to seasickness london rang in her ears she could hear a piano tinkling she saw dick directing the movements of a line of girls then her dream was brought to an end by a gulp oh the fearful nausea and she did not feel better until flooding her dress and ruining the red velvet seat all she had drunk came up but the vomit brought her great relief and had it not been for a little dizziness and weakness she would have felt quite right when she arrived at the stage door in a terrible state of dirt and untidiness she was surely but she noticed nothing her mind being now fully occupied in thinking what she should say first to the stage doorkeeper and then to her husband at the corner of which street she dismissed the cab and this done she did not seem to have courage enough for anything she felt as if she'd like to sit down on a doorstep and cry the menacing threats the bitter upbraiding she had intended all slipped from her like dreams and she felt utterly wretched at that moment in her little walk up the pavement she found herself opposite a public-house something whispered in her ear that after her sickness one little nip of brandy was necessary and would put her straight in a moment she hesitated but someone pushed her from behind and she went in a four of brandy freshened her up wonderfully enabling her to think of what she had come to do and to remember how badly she was being treated a second drink put light into her eyes and wickedness into her head and she felt she could and would face the devil i'll give it to him i'll teach him that i'm not to be trodden on she said to herself as she strutted manfully towards the stage door walking on her heels so as to avoid any unsteadiness of gait the man in the little box was old and feeble he said he would send her name by the first person going down but kate was not in a mood to brook delays and profiting by his inability to stop her she banged through the swinging door and commenced the descent of a long flight of steps below her was the stage and between the wings she could see the girls arranged in a semicircle dick with a big staff in hand stood in front of the footlights directing the movements of a procession which was being formed the piano tinkled merrily on the o p side uh, mr chapel will you be good enough to play the just put this in your pocket chorus over again cried dick stamping his staff heavily upon the boards 
Now then, girls, I hear a good deal too much talking going on at the back there. I dare say it's very amusing, but if you try to combine business with pleasure... Now, who did I put in section one? Kate hesitated a moment, arrested by the tones of his voice, and she could not avoid thinking of the time when she used to play claret. Besides, all the well-known faces were there. Our lives move as in circles. No matter what strange vicissitudes we pass through, we generally find ourselves gliding once more into the well-known grooves. And Dick, informing the present company, had naturally fallen back upon the old hands who had travelled with him in the country. They were nearly all there. Mortimer, with his ringlets and his long nasal drawl, stood as usual in the wings, making ill-natured remarks. Dubois strutted as before, and tilting his bishop's hat, explained that he would take no further engagement as a singer. If people would not let him act, they would have to do without him. With her dyed hair tucked neatly away under her bonnet, Miss Leslie smiled as agreeably as ever. Beaumont alone seemed to be missing, and Montgomery, in all the importance of a going-to-be-produced author, strode along up and down the stage, apparently busied in thought, the tails of a new market coat still flapping about his thin legs. And when he appeared in profile against the scenery, he looked, as he had always done, like the flitting shadow thrown by an enormous magic lantern. Kate sullenly watched them, gripping the rail of the staircase tightly. The momentary softening of heart, occasioned by the remembrance of old times, died away in the bitterness of the thought that she who had counted for so much was now pushed into a corner to live forgotten or disdained. Why was she not rehearsing there with them? she asked herself. At once the answer came. Because your husband hates you, because he wants to make love to another woman. Then, like one crazed, she clattered down the iron spiral staircase to the stage. She didn't even hear Mortimer and Dubois cry out as she pushed past. There's Mrs. Lennox! In the middle of the stage, however, she looked around, discountenanced by the silence and the crowd, and hoping to calm her, Dick advised her in whispers to go upstairs to his room. But this was the signal for her to break forth. "'Go up to your room!' she screamed. "'Never, never! Do you suppose it's to talk to you that I came here? No, I despise you too much. I hate you, and I want everyone here to know how you treat me!' With a dull stare she examined the circle of girls who stood whispering in groups, as if she were going to address one in particular, and several drew back, frightened. Dick attempted to say something— but it seemed that the very sound of his voice was enough. "'Go away! Go away!' she exclaimed at the top of her voice. "'Go away! Don't touch me! Go to that woman of yours, Mrs. Forrest. Go to her and be damned, you beast. You know she's paying for everything here. You know that you are—' oh, "'For goodness sake, remember what you're saying,' said Dick, interrupting and trembling as if for his life. He cast an anxious glance around to see if the lady in question was within hearing. Fortunately, she was not on the stage. The chorus crowded timidly forward, looking like a school in their walking dresses. The carpenters had ceased to hammer and were peeping down from the flies. Kate stood balancing herself and staring blindly at those who surrounded her. Leslie and Montgomery, in the position of old friends, were endeavouring to soothe her, whilst Mortimer and Dubois argued passionately as to when they had seen her drunk for the first time. The first insisted that when she joined them at Hanley she was a bit inebriated. The latter declared that it had begun with the champagne on her wedding day. "'Don't you remember? Dick was married with a scratched face.' "'To judge from present appearances,' said the comedian, forcing his words slowly through his nose, "'he's likely to die with one.' At this sally three supers retired into the wings holding their sides, and Dubois, furious at being outdone in a joke, walked away in high dudgeon, calling Mortimer an unfeeling brute. In the meantime the drunken row was waxing more furious at every moment— Struggling frantically with her friends, Kate called attention to the sticking plaster on Dick's face, and declared that she would do for him. 
you see what i gave him last night and he deserved it oh the beast and i'll give him more if you knew all you wouldn't blame me it was he who seduced me who got me to run away from home and he deserts me for other women but he shan't he shan't he shan't i'll kill him first yes i will and nobody will stop me dick listened quite broken with shame for himself and for her as an excuse for the absence of his wife from the theatre he had told mortimer and hayes that london did not agree with her and that she had to spend most of her time at the seaside all had condoled with him and when they were searching london for a second lady all had agreed that mrs lennox was just the person they wanted for the part what a pity they said she wasn't in town at the present moment dick wished her the other side of jordan for all he knew she might remain screaming at him the whole day and if mrs forrest came back well he didn't know what would happen the whole game would then be up the spout perhaps the best thing to do would be to tell montgomery of the danger his peace was in he and kate had always been friends she might listen to him such were dick's reflections as he stood bashfully trying to avoid the eyes of his ballet girls for the life of him he didn't know which way to look in front of him was a wall of people whereon certain faces detached themselves he saw dubois's mumming mug widening with delight until the grin formed a semicircle round the jew nose mortimer looked on with the mock earnestness of a tortured saint in a stained-glass window pity was written on all the girls faces all were sorry for dick especially a tall woman who forgot herself so completely that she threw her arms about a super and sobbed on his shoulder but kate still continued to advance although held by montgomery and miss leslie the long black hair hung in disordered masses her brown eyes were shot with golden lights the green tints in her face became in her excessive pallor dirty and abominable in colour and she seemed more like a demon than a woman as her screams echoed through the empty theatre by jove we ought to put up jane eyre said mortimer if she were to play the mad woman like that we'd be sure to draw full houses i believe you said dubois but at that moment he was interrupted by a violent scream and suddenly disengaging herself from those who held her kate rushed at dick with one hand she grappled him by the throat and before anyone could interfere she succeeded in nearly tearing the shirt from his back when at length they were separated she stood staring and panting every fibre of her being strained with passion but she did not again burst forth until someone in a foolish attempt to pacify her ventured to side with her in her denunciation of her husband how should such as you dare to say a word against him i will not hear him abused no i will not i say he is a good man yes yes he is a good man the best man that ever lived she exclaimed stamping her foot on the boards the best man that ever lived i will not hear a word against him no i will not he's my husband he married me yes he did i can show you my certificate and that's more than any one of you can i know you a damn lot of hussies i know you i was one of you myself you think i wasn't <laughs> ah well i can prove it you go and ask montgomery if i didn't play serpolette all through the country and claret too i should like to see any of you do that with the exception of lucy who was always a good friend to me but the rest of you i despise as the dirt under my feet so do you think that i would permit you that i came here to listen to my husband being abused and by such as you if he has his faults is accountable to none but me here she had to pause for lack of breath and dick who had been pursuing his shirt stud which had rolled into the footlights now drew himself up and in his stage commanding voice declared the rehearsal to be over a few of the girls lingered but they were beckoned away by the others who saw that the present time was not suitable for the discussion of boots tights and dressing-rooms there was no one left but leslie montgomery dick kate and harding who twisting his moustache 
watched and listened apparently with the greatest interest oh you've no idea what a nice woman she used to be and is were it not for that cursed drink said montgomery with the tears running down his nose you remember her leslie don't you isn't what i say true i never liked a woman so much in my life oh you were a friend of hers then said harding i should think i was then you never were oh yes yes i understand a little friendship flavoured with love yes yes wears better perhaps than the genuine article uh, what do you think leslie not bad said the prima donna for people with poor appetites a kind of diet suitable for lent i should think ah a title for a short story or better still for an operetta what do you think montgomery shall i do you a book entitled lovers in lent or a lover's lent and leslie will no i won't none of your forty days for me i can't understand how you people can go on talking nonsense with a scene so terrible passing under your eyes cried the musician as he pointed to kate who was calling after dick as she staggered in pursuit of him up the stairs towards the stage door well what do you want me to do she'll disgrace him in the street i can't help that i never interfere in a love affair and this is evidently the great passion of a life montgomery cast an indignant glance at the novelist and rushed after his friends but when he arrived at the stage door he saw the uselessness of his interference it was in the narrow street the heat sweltered between the old houses that leaned and lolled upon the huge black traversing beams like aged women on crutches and kate raved against dick in language that was fearful to hear amid the stage carpenters the chorus girls the idlers that a theatre collects standing with one foot in the gutter where vegetable refuse of all kinds rotted her beautiful black hair was now hanging over her shoulders like a mane some one had trodden on her dress and nearly torn it from her waist and in avid curiosity women with dyed hair peeped out of a suspicious-looking tobacco shop over the way stuck under an overhanging window was an orange stall the proprietor stood watching whilst a crowd of vermin-like children ran forward delighted at the prospect of seeing a woman beaten close by in shirt-sleeves the pot-boy flung open the public-house door partly for the purpose of attracting custom and half with the intention of letting a little air into the bar-room oh kate i beg of you not to go in there said dick you've had enough do come home come home she shrieked and with you you beast it was you who seduced me got me away from my husband this occasioned a good deal of amusement in the crowd and several voices asked for information and how did he manage to do that ma'am said one with a bottle of gin what do you think cried another there were moments when dick longed for the earth to open but he nevertheless continued to try to prevent kate from entering the public house i will drink i will drink i will drink and not because i like it but to spite you because i hate you when she came out she appeared to be a little quieted and dick tried very hard to persuade her to get into a cab and drive home but the very sound of his voice the very sight of him seemed to excite her and in a few moments she broke forth into the usual harangue several times the temptation to run away became almost irresistible but with a noble effort of will he forced himself to remain with her hoping to avoid some part of the ridicule that was being so liberally showered upon him he besought of her to keep up drury lane and not descend into the strand you don't want to be seen with me i know you prefer to walk there with mrs forrest you think i shall disgrace you well come along then look at me here look at me there criticise me everywhere i'm so sweet from head to feet and most perfect and complete that's right old woman give us a song she knows the game 
answered another raising his big hat from his head dick wiped his face and as if divining his extreme despair kate left off singing and dancing and the procession proceeded in quiet past several different wine-shops it was not until they came to shorts that she declared she was dying of thirst and must have a drink dick forbade the barman to serve her and brought upon himself the most shocking abuse knowing that he would be sure to meet a crowd of his pals at the gaiety bar he used every endeavour to persuade her to cross the street and get out of the sun don't bother me with your son she exclaimed surlily and then as if struck by the meaning of the word she said but it wasn't a son it was a daughter don't you remember oh kate how can you speak so speak so i say it was a daughter and she died and you said it was my fault as you say everything is my fault you beast you venomous beast yes she did die it was a pity i could have loved her at this moment dick felt a heavy hand clapped on his shoulder and turning round he saw a pal of his what dick my boy a drunken chorus lady trying to get her home always up to some charitable action no she's my wife oh i beg your pardon old chap you know i didn't mean it and the man disappeared into the bar-room yes i'm his wife kate shrieked after him i got that much right out of him at least and i played the serpolette in the cloche look at me here look at me there she sang flirting with her abominable skirt amused by the applause of the rough but i'm going to have a drink here she said suddenly breaking off no you can't my good woman said the stout guardian at the door and why why not that don't matter you go on or i'll have to give you in charge kate was not yet so drunk that the words in charge did not frighten her and she answered humbly enough i'm here with my husband and as you're so impertinent i shall go elsewhere at the next place they came to dick did not protest against her being served but waited confident of the result until she had had her four of gin and came reeling out into his arms shaking herself free she stared at him and when he was fully recognised cursed him for his damned interference she could now scarcely stand straight on her legs and after staggering a few yards further fell helplessly on the pavement calling a cab he bundled her into it and drove away End of chapter twenty six